Well, if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under a chair or in a pew back in front of you. And Galatians is about three quarters of the way through your Bible. It's after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then Galatians. Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And so Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to be in verses 15. So look for the big number 2 and the small number 15. And we're going to be all the way uh, working through until verse 21. So on December 23rd, 1972, the Pittsburgh Steelers were trailing the Oakland Raiders 7-6 to with 22 seconds remaining when quarterback Terry Bradshaw on the 30-yard line dropped back for a pass, and as he threw the ball, the ball intended for John Fuqua, and it bounced off of Jack Tatum's head and into the hands of Franco Harris, who ran it back for a touchdown. Many of you know that as the immaculate reception. Shocking, isn't it? On, this, on October 15, 1988, Game 1 of the World Series between the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Oakland Athletics, heading into the ninth inning, the A's were ahead 4-3 to three and had their dominant closer, Dennis Eckersley, on the mound, where there are now two outs when famed manager Tommy Lasorda sends up a hobbled Kirk Gibson who barely has the strength to make it to the plate where he takes three balls and two strikes. And as the camera zooms in on Gibson, you see him purposefully shaking his leg to get some sort of movement in his leg because he is hobbled that much. When all of a sudden he takes a pitch and he sails it over the outfield wall, winning the game 5 to four. Shocking, isn't it? On November 19, 1999, John Carpenter breezed through 14 questions until he reached the final question, which was, which of the U.S. presidents appeared on the comedy show called Laugh-In? At that moment, he used one of his three remaining lifelines to call his dad and declare to his dad that he would be the first one to win. Who wants to be a millionaire? Shocking, isn't it? You see, there are certain stories in life, certain episodes, certain scenes that we see that are just shocking to us. They leave us in awe. They, they leave us speechless, and we are just amazed at either their raw talent or their intellect or their ability. Whatever it is, we are left shocked by what we just saw. I wonder how many of us are shocked by the reality that there is salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. I wonder how many of us this morning are shocked by the fact that there is a God that created the entire universe 
which includes you and I, and you and I have rebelled against that God, and we deserve to spend an eternity in hell. And in the midst of that, he sends his son, who has equal authority, equal power, equal essence with the Father, and his son comes to this earth. He dies a death that we deserve to die, and then he rises from the dead, conquering sin and death, so that all we have to do is just have faith in Jesus Christ, then we can have salvation with him. I wonder how many of us are actually shocked by that reality, are left speechless by this reality of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Maybe we're not that shocked because we actually don't see ourselves as that bad. Maybe we're not shocked because we actually think we're pretty decent people, especially compared to the person sitting next to you or the person across the room. Maybe we're not that shocked because we actually don't think that we need that much help. Like, if God's going to grade on a curve, sure, I'll take that, but I would have passed the test by myself. And so we're not that shocked by the reality of salvation through Jesus Christ. And this morning, what I'm hoping and what Paul is going to show us in our passage is that we should be utterly shocked by our salvation. That our lives, our minds, our hearts should be in awe over the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And to see that, here's going to be the main point that we're going to look at this morning. And that is, sweet salvation comes through shocking justification. It should shock you that you are able to be made right with a holy and righteous God. Now, this idea of justification, Wayne Grudem defines in his systematic theology, listen to this, it is the instantaneous legal act of God in which he thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us and declares us to be right in his sight. Did you hear the threefold nature of what justification actually is? It is that your sin is forgiven. It is that your righteousness is wiped away because you have none, and you are given the righteousness of Christ, and then you are declared right before God. If you actually took a moment to think about that reality, it should shock you. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. And so as we do, let's go ahead and read our passage this morning. And so would you stand with me as we read God's word? This is our opportunity to honor the Lord as we hear from him speaking to us. Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, 
Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, in, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the word of the Lord. All God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. This summer, we are taking time to just stare at salvation, the reality that you and I have sin, and somebody must pay for that sin, either ourselves or Jesus Christ pays for that sin in our place. And we are just taking a moment to stare at that reality because we need a sure foundation for life. We need a sure foundation to be able to build our lives upon. And so we have to understand what this salvation actually is and what it actually means. For us to lead our families for us to live godly lives, for us to protect the gospel, we have to actually know what it is. And so we've been looking at different facets of this gospel, and we saw in week one what God has done from eternity past in choosing people to believe in him, and then within time, he sends his spirit to regenerate us and give us new life. And our response to that is one of repentance, where we turn from our sin, we turn from ourselves, and we trust entirely in Jesus Christ. And when we do that, this other reality happens where we are declared right with God. It's called justification. Our sins are wiped away. And we are given the righteousness of Christ. And if we actually stop to think about our life, it should shock us. And so to help us with that, I want us to stare at three realities of this justification. Let's look at the first reality. And that is justification flows from faith. It comes from faith. So the letter to the churches in Galatia is a letter to multiple churches in the region of Galatia, which is present-day Turkey, and it's one of the first letters in the entire New Testament. It's where the Apostle Paul is writing to this church to kind of clarify, <clears throat> clarify what salvation actually is. And as he clarifies what salvation is, we see that there's a problem within this church. 
The problem is, is that the Jewish people have taken Jesus and they've added their Jewish rituals thinking that together that is how you obtain eternal life with God. And it's so enticing, it's so enticing that even Peter is led astray. It's so enticing that the man from Acts 10 who receives a vision from God that says all of those non-Jews, all of those pagan worshipers, all of those dirty, disobedient people can now be brought into the family of God. The one who receives that vision is led astray. Do you see how enticing that is? It's so enticing for us to believe in Jesus and our good works because we want to feel like we contribute, don't we? We want to feel good about ourselves. Look at what I did. Because to rest in your works is to actually rest in yourself. But to live by faith is to rest in one outside of you, Jesus Christ. And so it's very enticing for us to trust in the things that we do to the point that even Peter is led astray and he begins to pull back from the Gentile people that you can read at the beginning part of chapter 2 and he pulls back from the Gentile people and he begins to hang out only with the clean religious Jews. And it's in the midst of that that Paul must speak and clarify that justification is not by your religiosity, but it is by faith in Christ. Look at verse 15 and see how he gets us there. Verse 15, Paul simply starts by saying, we ourselves are Jews by birth. Do you hear the inclusion here? Paul is not speaking as someone outside the circle, condemning those in the circle. He is speaking as someone in the circle, saying our circle is wrong. We've gotten it wrong. He wants to clarify this for them. Now, now think about, why would this be such a difficulty for the Jews to understand? Because for thousands of years, they have heard that they are the people of God. They've been given the law to obey God. They've been told other ways in which they are to be pure and clean apart from, uh, apart from the world for the sake of God. And now all of that is torn down because of the blood of Jesus Christ so that all people can come in and know who Jesus Christ is and have a relationship with Christ. Now, imagine for a second if a mobster came to faith in Jesus Christ. My guess is some of us in here would be like, uh, I'm not sure that's how it works. We'd be thinking through all of the list of things that that guy must do to ensure that he actually is a Christian and actually does have faith in Christ. And Paul is speaking 
to people thinking in that realm. And as he does, again, he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and we're not Gentile sinners. We are not like them. We are separate from them. But, or rather yet, look at verse 16. He says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Do you hear that word yet? They already know this truth. He's not telling them something that they don't already know. That is the hardest thing about a hypocrite. A hypocrite knows the right answer for everybody else but themselves. We see that's exactly what the Jews are doing. They have the answers for everybody else, but they do not want to adhere to those answers for themselves. And Paul just says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Well, how do we know that? Because James tells us something similar. If you were to go to James chapter 2, you would read there in verse 10 that we are called to obey the entire law. And if we fail at one point in the law, we have failed the entire law. We've broken all of the law if we break one single commandment. Anybody in here obey the commandments 100% all of time, forever, perfectly? One misstep, one sin, one breaking, you break all of it. And so Paul says, we know that you are not made right with God by your obedience because we know you don't have enough obedience. In fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 48, that we must be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. There's only one that has ever been that perfect. And Paul will show us that. Look at how we are justified. It is through faith in Jesus Christ. It is not by resting in your ability, but rather it's by recognizing you have no ability. But there is one who does. Jesus Christ. The one who lived perfectly. The one who died the death that you and I deserve to die. The one who conquered death, conquered sin, conquered Satan, and now gives eternal life through him and him alone. It is by believing in him, by having faith in him. So Paul continues then, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus. Why? In order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You see, justification does not come from inside of yourself. It comes from outside and rather inside of your Savior. Justification is not based on 
you needing to have good morals, but rather you needing to have a good master. It is not based upon your information. It's based upon the transformation that Jesus Christ brings. It is more than what we can somehow muster up. And so what we need to do is we need to first admit the fact that we are not right before God and we have no ability to become right before God. We need to admit our weakness. We need to admit that we need one who is outside of us. We don't need to know right and wrong. We need to know the author of right and wrong and rest in him. And trust in him for what he has done for us. And we rest in that by just reflecting upon him. We rest in that by just pausing and allowing our unsettled hearts, by allowing our scurried lives to just pause for a moment and just stare at Christ and understand him through his word. If you read the early part of Matthew, you'll find in chapter 4 of Matthew that Jesus is led up into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by Satan. And do you know how Jesus resists the temptation? He quotes scripture. He goes back to the reality of who God actually is, and he compares Satan's view of God with the true reality of who God is, and he reflects on God, and he says no to everything else because he realizes he needs the right picture of his Father. Is that you? Do you realize that in the world around us, everything is pointing at you and your ability, what your heart says, what your mind thinks, all of the arrows are pointing inward to you, and do you realize that what you actually need is the arrows pointing up to your Father? And the way you move from the arrows pointing to you and to Him is you start to look at Him and reflect upon Him and learn about him through his word. The only way we can actually follow God is if we know God. The only way we can know God is if we actually learn about him through his word. I was reading a book earlier this week, uh, Speaking to Men, by Tim Chalice called Run to Win. And it calls us men If you're a man in this room, I I want you to hear this. It calls us men to be men who think. So often as men, it's easy for us to say, oh, I'm I'm not a thinker, I'm a doer. I I just got to go do something. I, I don't do that. I don't think about things. And he calls us to be men who actually think that our families will thrive, the church will thrive if we as men step up and begin to use our minds to think about God and set our lives towards him. Is that you, man? That's what justification does. It helps you to see 
how unworthy you are and the reality that you are made valuable in God's sight so much so that he sends his son to give you life. And the response is that you want to know him and treasure him and live for him. But then there's a second reality. And the second reality is that justification frees us from self. Justification frees us from ourselves. We need to be freed from ourselves. We can no longer operate thinking that we are better than what we actually are. So often we compare ourselves. We look to the person next to us. We look to the person across the room, across the street, across the city, across the country. We say, I'm not like them, so I'm good. Or we have our own standard, and we begin to compare ourselves to that standard. We say, hey, I've reached my standard, so I'm good. These are all ways that we're looking to justify our lives and our behavior, and yet all of them fail because as we just saw, one breaking of the law means that you're a lawbreaker. And to go back to the law to try to justify how good you are does not make sense. Because look at what Paul says. Verse 17, he says, If in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? What's Paul saying? He's saying, okay, we believe in Jesus. That means we are tied to Jesus. And yet we still sin. Does that mean that Jesus is tied to our sin? And that he too is then a sinner? And if he's a sinner, and yet he forgives our sin, why not sin? How often we do that. We do that by downplaying our sin as if it's just a little white lie. Or we downplay our sin as, well, it's not that bad. There's grace for that, isn't there? Or we downplay our sin and say, well, at least it wasn't as bad as them when they did fill in the blank. Is that true of you? Are you a person who is regularly downplaying the reality of your sin? Because when we do that, what we are essentially saying is that we can have our Savior and our sin, and there is grace enough to cover both. And Paul says, when you want sin and you want your Savior, you don't understand your Savior. And you don't understand your sin. My guess is if we chronicled all the sins that you've done in your life and then we stuck you in this room and locked you in this room and then did all of those sins to you, let's be honest for a moment. You'd probably want someone in jail, wouldn't you? You'd want some sort of justice played out, wouldn't you? So we can't look to ourselves. We can't harbor our sin and just put our Savior's picture over that and call that grace. That's the very opposite of grace. 
That's what Paul says at the end of verse 17. He says, certainly not. But why? Look at verse 18. He says, if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a, a transgressor. Now, we've got to understand his argument here. And so let's work backwards to the front. So at the end, he says we are a transgressor. And a transgressor is one that breaks a law or uh, trespasses against or over a line. And so we are breaking this law. And he says the way I prove myself to be one who breaks this law is that I take the law, which was broken down, And then I rebuild it, and I begin to compare myself back to that law. So the way I prove that I actually break the law is I take the law, and I try to put it in place and prove so often how I obey that law. Do you see the craziness to that? So often, we feel like uh, life is uh, categorized in one of two ways. We feel like there are people who are legalists, where they take the law, and they do everything they can to obey every single aspect of the law, or we find people who are licentious, which means they take the law, and they completely overthrow the law and live life however they want. What's the problem with both? So often, we think they're opposing. The reality is they're, they're actually the same. Because both of them are looking at the law. They're not looking at Christ. And so we prove ourselves to be a lawbreaker even when we say, I don't care about the law. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to live life however I want to live. What we're essentially saying is, there's the law. I'm going to throw away. We've not introduced Jesus at all to that equation. We are utterly focused on the law. And then we prove ourselves to be a lawbreaker because we know we can't obey that law. So why would we do that? Why would we go there? Why would we seek to try to submit ourselves back to the law just so that we can feel better about ourselves? Instead, what Jesus does is he takes the law away and he gives us a whole new playing field in which we can operate. And he shows us what it actually means to be a follower of him. And so that leads Paul to a, a reason in verse 19. Notice what he says in 19. He says, for through the law, I died to the law. We look at the law and we realize I failed. All the law can really do is bring death. So by looking at the law, I died. But notice where the hope is. It isn't in me, in my ability, but rather I die to the law so that I might live to God. So notice what Paul's doing. He's, it's, it's a bit of a play on words. He, he's saying, hey, uh, when I try to obey the law, I die. And so what I'm going to actually do is I'm going to intentionally die to the law so that I might live to Christ, so that I might become aware and awaken to the ways of 
Christ. I die to the law. I die to the world. I die to the things here and now so that I might live to Christ. And so to go back to the law makes no sense whatsoever because the law cannot make us right. So get rid of it. Trying to obey it or trying to ignore it both focus on the law and leads us to hell. The solution is not in looking at the law, but rather in dying to the law. They say that the way you get good fruit is that you take a seed and you put it in the soil, and as it is in the soil, it must die, and when it dies, then it begins to sprout and bear good fruit. I don't need a whole lot of fruit, so I'm going to trust their word that it bears good fruit. The reality of what Paul is saying is that we too must die, that when we are tied, when we are in Christ, we die to ourselves and we die to this world. And so when Christ lives, we then can live and we can live for God. If you want to be free, the answer is not from yourself. The answer is found in your Savior. The answer is not comparing yourself with other people. The answer is comparing yourself to God and realizing how much you have failed His standard and yet Despite that failure, he has sent his son for you to die for you, to rise from the dead and give you new life. And your only response is to be in shock and awe that, oh my, you did that for me. And at that moment, I'm free. At that moment, I'm able to be a good employee because I don't care what my employer thinks of me. At that moment, I am able to be a good parent. I'm able to be a good spouse. I'm able to serve those around me. I'm able to serve this church because I no longer am living for your opinion and your justification of me. Rather, I've been freed by the justification found in Jesus Christ alone. And that leads us to the third reality. And that is justification fastens us to our Savior. You and I need to realize that being right with God, we have nothing to offer. We have no ability. In fact, we need to be freed from ourselves because the only thing that we know is comparison. And in comparison, we always lose. In comparison, we always die Instead, we need to be tied and fastened to our Savior that doesn't just change eternity, but it changes now. And that's the power for us to live today, is to be tied to our Savior. How does that happen? Look at verse 20. Paul says, 
I've been crucified with Christ. The moment you believe and trust in Jesus Christ is the moment that you are crucified with him. That as he died, you died. You died to this world. You died to uh, your pleasures. You died to your passions. You died to your mindset and your mentality. And you died with Christ. But notice that death is not the final word. Because what does he say? He says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Did you hear that? That when we die to ourselves and die to this world, we don't become alive, but Christ comes in us and he lives in and through us. Do you understand who that Christ actually is? The one who is preeminent before all things, the one who created all things, the one who holds all things together, the one who has authority over all things, the one who all the fullness of God dwelled in. That one is the one that now lives inside of you, the one that conquered death and the one that ascended to the right hand of God and the one that will return in power to reign and rule for all of eternity, that is the one that lives inside of you. And so the reality is that we die to ourselves and we come alive through Christ. In the life, verse 20, in the life I now live, I live by faith. I don't live based on what I see. I don't live based on what I feel. I live based on what I know to be true about Christ. Church, do you know Christ? The more we know, the more we are amazed, and the more we are freed to live by faith. But notice why we should live by faith in Christ. Verse 20, he says, In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Why? Who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says something very, very similar in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. He says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He, speaking of the Father, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. Uh, Time out for a second. I'm assuming some, maybe most of you love me. Maybe all, I don't know. I don't know how many of you would give your child for me. He said, the father gave his son. And, And let me be clear, you know me as a pastor. My guess is you have not seen the inner recesses of my sinful heart, and you still wouldn't give your child for me. And the father knows the inner recesses 
of our minds and our hearts, and he did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all. And if that is true, how will he not also graciously give us all things? The power that you and I have to be freed from ourselves and to be right with God is that God freely gave his son for you. And if he did that, how much more will he also give you? What a shocking reality that you gave him for me, and that is just a down payment of all the blessing that you will give me through faith in Christ. And it leads Paul to say in verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If I live for my desires, if I live for myself, if I live to compare, if I live to grade myself against my standard, what ends up happening is I negate the grace of God. And the onus is back on me to have to earn my way to God, to have to please God in my own power by my own works. And Christ died for no purpose. It was such a wasted death. Instead, Paul's inviting us to live by trust in Christ, to live by faith in Christ, to live this present life now, not seeking to earn your way to God, but rather knowing who you are in God and then living by faith in Jesus Christ. We have a saying in my house, and it goes like this, this is how a Van Ruler operates. And in that moment, what I'm doing is I'm not telling my kids, here are the 10 things you need to do to be adopted into our family. I am telling them, you are already a Van Ruler. You are already a part of our family. And to be a part of our family, this is now what it means. We live like this. We operate like this. We care like this. Not to earn, but because the earning is already done and accomplished. We're called to live by faith, not to get God, but because we already have God. And do you see the freedom that that brings? The freedom that that brings is that we can actually trust in Jesus day in and day out. Any of you ever had a good friend? My guess is they were a good friend for a season of your life and then your lives uh, took divergent paths and you rarely talk to that person again. Jesus is a good friend whose path never diverges, who never leaves, who never forsakes. And as long as we have died to ourselves and risen with him, 
we are tied to him forever. And so we can ask him for wisdom. We can walk by faith in him. And get this, we can do what is hard. We can actually engage the hard things of life because we're not resting in our power, but we're resting in the power of Jesus Christ. And the only way we get there is if we are shocked and if we are amazed by staring at our sin and staring at the enormous blessing and justification of our Savior, and we are utterly shocked and left speechless, and it draws us out to live our entire lives for Him. Is that true of you? Are you shocked? Are you amazed at the justification that is found in Christ alone, or has that become some second-grade thinking that you have somehow moved beyond through your own effort and good works? May we rest solely in the justification that is found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, so often we look to our own efforts. We look to our own ways to be made right with you. We think if I just perform at a certain level or if I just do things better than the next person or, or whatever it might mean, we, we are looking for ways to justify our value and our worth. And all of those ways bring nothing but death and destruction. And so, Father, we confess that we run to those ways and we just ask and plead with you that you would change our hearts, you change our minds, that we would rest solely and fully in the justification found in Jesus Christ alone. Father, we pray in your son's precious name. Amen. We're going to make